big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Thanks to our newest patrons, Deborah and Elizabeth. Also, thank you to a wonderful father and human being, John Burdick. This episode is dedicated to him. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. This is... I'm sorry. (laughs) Sometimes... (laughs) Sometimes when we're doing introductions, I just, like, lose it for a moment. Yeah. Let's try it again. Oh, boy. This is already going to be interesting. Yeah. Let's try it again. Okay. <laughs> this is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. I, Molly, have never read any Jane Austen before in my life. I, Becca, have read many Jane Austens before in my life. To be honest, actually, though, now I will have almost read one entire Jane Austen. Guys, we are just... Three chapters away from the end of Pride and Prejudice now, which means Molly can never say she's never read a Jane Austen book before because now you have pretty much read the most famous one. Yeah, and let me tell you, I spilled coffee all over it this week. Like, all over it. <laughs> I mean, have you ever really read the book if you haven't spilled coffee on it? That's true. This is very controversial in, like, the world of book readers, but I like a well-worn book. Others like to keep their books really pristine. Indeed, I agree. And, well, actually, it depends. I borrow a lot of books, so obviously those books gotta not spill coffee on them, and I like the um, pristineness of them, but when I'm doing something like this, I mean, our patrons have definitely seen my book at this point and know that I scribble all over it, and now there's coffee all over it, which is funny because it wasn't even that I was, like, surprised and spilled my coffee. It was a very surprising chapter, but I just picked it up, it clanked against my teeth, and just, like, splashed out all over all <laughs> the whole thing. We've all been there. We've all been there. It looks so well-loved, though. Molly, hold up your book to the people, and we'll screenshot a picture of it. Should I hold it, like, this angle? Open her up. A random page. Let's see if I can screenshot this. Uh, that's the ugliest picture taken of the two of us ever. <laughs> But the book looks great. So speaking of crazy chapters in Jane Austen. This is possibly the most action-packed sequence of chapters I have assigned you. Yeah, I have a feeling, based on the amount of notes that I take, that this is going to be one of our longer episodes. It's going to be a long episode. I have to say, listeners, dear listeners, Becca was like, do we want to do three more episodes of this book or two more episodes of this book? We could break it up 14, 15 as one episode, 16 as its own episode, and then the last three, or we can do three and three. And I was like, let's go get them. Three and three. I want to finish the book, but I have a lot to say. So apologies. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Molly's like, we can give them a longer episode. And I was like, it's going to be longer. (laughs) Yeah. But it's okay because it's worth it. Yes. Oh my God. All right. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, let's 
get into it. For those following along with their own books, we are reading chapters 14 through 16 of volume the third of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yes. So we have three more chapters left of the book after these chapters. So we are nearing the end. And for those of you who know this book really well, you know what happens in these chapters. They're a big deal. But we're going to stop talking around the chapters and get into them now. So let's recap what happened in the last chapters. Last chapters that we read, Jingli became canon. Ah, yes. Or for the older folks that listen to this podcast, Bingli proposed to Jane and she said yes. And everyone's real happy about it, especially Mrs. Bennett, who now considers Jane her favorite daughter. Yep. So now we're going over to the next set of chapters. And at this point, we have Bingley and the Bennett ladies sitting together at the table. Yes. And Darcy is, is away. He was called away on business or something. Yes. So they're at the table hanging out. And they hear a carriage approaching. And my first thought was like, this is be Darcy coming back already. But it's not. It is not. The carriage doesn't look familiar to anyone. The equipage doesn't match any of their neighbors. And I, I looked that word up and it's basically the equipment with the horse. Yeah. I guess they all have like their family horses. And Bingley and Jane decide to go for a walk because they don't want it to be too overcrowded. But oh boy, oh boy, do they know how overcrowded it truly would have been. Oh Because we've got a big personality coming in, guys. Not overcrowded with people, but definitely overcrowded with ideas and personalities and egos. Yes. It is none other than Lady Catherine de <laughs> And everyone is surprised. Lizzie, like, whispers to her mom, that's Lady Catherine de Bourgh, and they're like, ooh, that woman that Mr. Collins always talks about. I forgot that they haven't met her. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, only Lizzie knows Lady Catherine de Bourgh, and this is a very weird visit. Yes. Oh, is it? So she comes in. Lizzie's like, hi, and she doesn't say anything. She just sits down. She just walks in pouting already. She's just already got the pursed lips, like, mm. Yeah, I fucking hate her. I... <laughs> She doesn't even speak to anyone except for Lizzie being just so inconsiderate. And she turns to Lizzie and she's like, that lady, I suppose, is your mother. And that, I suppose, is one of your sisters. Like, talk to them, to their face. They're right there. Nope. 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 She's just going to talk straight to Lizzie. Mrs. Bennett is trying to impress her by talking about how their youngest daughter just got married, which is probably not the best thing to bring up, and talking about how Jane is about to get married and all of this stuff. And Lady Catherine then goes on to just insult their house and their grounds. And instead of sort of like taking it politely in stride, Mrs. Bennett's like, yeah, but I assure you, our grounds are bigger than the Lucases. Yeah. She doesn't, uh, uh, <laughs> this is a, a meeting of two very, very different high-end personalities. This is basically uh, Real Housewives of Regency era England. <laughs> it's yeah. messy. Yeah, it's messy. Lady Catherine asks Lizzie to go take a walk on their unimpressive grounds and Lizzie goes with her and they walk in silence. And Lizzie sees no point in making any effort for conversation with a woman who was now more than usually insolent and disagreeable. She's being even extra for Lady Catherine de Bourgh. For like a high class lady, she has no capacity to hide how she's feeling because she doesn't even want to. She's just furious and she's not even doing the polite pleasantries. She's just walking in, barging in in a bad mood, which is uncomfortable for everyone. Oh, very. And she starts out by saying, well, you must know why I'm here. And Lizzie's like, no. And then she just goes in. And I wrote down a few quotes. And I want to just preface this entire episode by saying that I'll be impressed with myself if I don't just read 
the three chapters aloud to you all because there's so many zingers. Oh, yeah. This has a lot of, like, bite-worthy quotes. There are a lot of lines in this that you're like, oh, Jane Austen's a great writer. Yeah, very. So Lady Catherine de Bourgh says, I am not to be trifled with, but however insincere you may choose to be, you shall not find me so. My character has been celebrated for its sincerity and frankness, and I'm not going to stop that now. And it's, it's funny because... Her character is not celebrated for those things. Well, I think she might be celebrated for her frankness because Mm. sincerity and frankness are nice ways of saying blunt and rude. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. So if there were anything that you wanted to celebrate Lady Catherine de Bourgh for, it would be her sincerity and frankness. With huge air quotes around it, mind you. Yes. So she goes on to tell Lizzie that she's heard rumors that she and Darcy are to be married. And though she knows that it must be a lie, she wouldn't injure Darcy to believe him capable of stooping to that level. And she came here to tell Lizzie exactly how she feels about it. And Lizzie says, if you know it isn't true, then why did you even come here? Exactly. Exactly. And Lady Catherine says she needed to hear it from Lizzie's mouth to be certain. And Lizzie says that Lady Catherine's coming to Longbourn to call on her will just spur on the rumors if there are rumors. And Lady Catherine is like, if? Like, have you not been spreading them yourself? Have you heard these rumors before? And Lizzie's like, I haven't heard these rumors before. And then Lady Catherine de Bourgh asks if there is no foundation for the rumors. And Lizzie says she would prefer not to say. She pleads the fifth. She is pleading the fifth so hard in this chapter. She is avoiding the question. Which is so telling about how she feels. Yeah. I also think this is in the study questions, but it is so interesting as to why Lizzie is avoiding answering these questions. Because you could read it as her holding out hope that Darcy is going to come back and propose. Or you could read it as her pride being insulted by Lady Catherine de Bourgh coming here and being like, don't marry my nephew. You won't, but don't. And she's like, well, why Why wouldn't I? It's interesting because I hadn't really given much thought to like why she would be avoiding the questions. I had just been thinking about what it means and like what it achieves. I guess because literally no one knows about her and Darcy except Jane maybe. Does Jane even know? I think Jane knows he proposed to her. Jane knows he proposed, but Jane doesn't know that she, oh, Jane does know that she changed her mind doesn't she? Yeah. yeah but Jane's not saying anything no, no no like Jane is not a gossip no but I think like imagine how you would react if you had a crush on a pretty lady mm-hmm. and her say like her ex came up to you and was like hey you don't get to date my ex are you dating my ex would you not answer because you wanted to date her ex or would you not answer because it's none of her fucking business? So I'm not actively dating her ex, but I wish I was. Like, you have a crush on her. You don't know if you have a shot. I would say no. I would say I'm not. I wouldn't say I prefer not to answer that. I would probably just say I'm not. But then I would feel guilty about it because I wanted to. Hmm. I would say it's none of your fucking business, which is kind of what Lizzie's saying. Well, you're definitely more of a Lizzie and I'm definitely more of like a Georgiana. Oh, BB. <laughs> Let's be real. You're a Bingley. I'm a Bingley and you're a, you you took a quiz and you got Jane. So ah, does that mean we're meant to get married? We're married. Yay. Podcast toasts forever. Yay, married and podcast them. <laughs> we'll get over the like you being straight thing later. Yeah, we'll we'll figure out a way around that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I get there are definitely multiple ways to interpret like why she would not be calling her mostly i think she just doesn't give lady catherine the time of day ever 
She never has. Oh, yeah. She's so good at not playing into Catherine's bullshit. Mm -hmm. So Lady Catherine is pissed. And she's like, well, has Darcy proposed to you? And Lizzie says, your ladyship has declared it impossible. Ooh, ooh, it is becoming such a cage match here. It is heated. It's been a while since we've seen Lizzie be this sassy. I know. I love sassy Lizzie. This is like chef's kiss. Lady Catherine is like, well, maybe you you lured him in with your charms. And Lizzie's like, well, I won't confess it if I have. And Lady Catherine says that she's entitled to know all of Darcy's business. She's his closest living relative. And Lizzie says, yeah, but you're not entitled to know mine. (laughs) And Lady Catherine says that Darcy is engaged to Baby DeBerg anyway. And Lizzie says, well, if that is so, then there's no reason for you to believe he has proposed to me. And And Lady Catherine says they've been promised to each other since birth. Their engagement, she refers to their engagement as tacit, which means understood or implied without being stated, which gives away that he has not agreed to this. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. This is what I was just about to say is that she's awfully insecure for a woman who says that they have been engaged. Like, oh, if they're so engaged, then why are you so worried about this girl? Like, why are you here? Exactly. You know, like, if he's engaged, then you shouldn't be worried. But she's like, nothing can stop this engagement. And she thinks that Lizzie has a chance of stopping that engagement. Yeah, because there is no engagement at this moment. Exactly. Neither of them have agreed to such a thing. Can you picture for a minute that Anne de Berg would look at Darcy and be like, yeah, that's who I want to marry? No, Anne de Berg, 10 out of 10. We've been over this. Gay. Poor gay girl stuck in her house. Yeah, so... This isn't happening on any front at all. And Lizzie says, well, if there is no other objection to my marrying your nephew, I shall certainly not be kept from it by knowing that his mother and his aunt wished him to marry Mr. Berg, which is hilarious. Lizzie is delivering the zingers in this part. This entire back and forth is just us. So good. You want your popcorn? Like I said, we're doing Real Housewives of Regency era England. Mm -hmm. Then she says that they can plan it all they want, but ultimately it's Darcy's choice to make. And if he chooses Lizzie, why should she not say yes? And then Lady Catherine is like, honor, decorum, prudence, nay, interest, forbid it. And she says that if she marries him, she will be shunned by his entire family and all his friends for ruining him. And Lizzie says the wife of Mr. Darcy will be happy enough without the love of his family and friends, which is so freaking cute she loves him so much she loves him so much she knows that like she wouldn't give two shits about what caroline thinks like she just wants to be with darcy caroline's barely darcy's friend yeah that's true oh right she's not even related to him (laughs) Cora, no (laughs) no i forgot she wants to be his wife i forgot whose sister it was my notes are all about caroline and louisa about his sisters molly (laughs) they're not they're not his sisters oh (laughs) no molly no oh my god oh man wow Good. Okay. Lady Catherine says then, is this my repayment for showing you kindness when you were at Rosings last spring? Did she show her kindness? She did not. Not at all. And Lizzie, oh, and then she tells Lizzie that she came here with a purpose and she will not be deterred from that purpose. She will not leave without achieving that purpose. And Lizzie says that will make your ladyship situation at present more pitiable, but it will have no effect on me. And Lady Catherine then goes on a rant about how wealthy and noble Darcy and Baby DeBerg both are and how perfect they are for each other because their families are ancient and though untitled on his father's side, that's Darcy. So even there, he's not as good as her. Like she has to point that out. Like they're meant to be together. And what is to divide them? This is a quote now. And what is to divide them? The upstart pretensions of a young woman without family, connections, or fortune. If you were sensible of your own good, you would not wish to quit the sphere in which you have been brought up. But wouldn't she though? What we have here. Do you hear the classism dripping off that speech? Oh, yeah. And also huge double standard. Yeah. 
what you're hearing. Remember how when we first talked about Baby DeBerg and Darcy getting married, I was like, yeah, we talked a lot about how women need to like marry for money. But when people are that wealthy, they marry to merge fortunes. Right. Catherine DeBerg is basically saying that her daughter's lot in life and Darcy's lot in life are to marry each other, consolidate the wealth at the top, which is preordained as it should be. And that Lizzie Bennet is lower and has to be content with her lot in life because that's what's proper. It's a natural order of things argument. We have talked a lot about class in the book, but I don't think anything has been as explicitly classist as this statement from Catherine de Bourgh. Yeah, and also what's wild about it is that like people of Lizzie's status are taught their whole lives that they're supposed to be marrying up. And if the people that are up are like, we don't want you, then what then? Well, they're they're meant to make a connection of some sort. Well, Lizzie's made a love connection. She's also made an advantageous love connection, whereas Darcy has simply made a love connection. I love him so much. Oh, his sweet little stupid face. He is so dumb. He is so dumb. So Lizzie points out that she is a gentleman's daughter and Darcy is a gentleman. So why would that be bad? And Catherine de Berg brings up her mother's side of the family. And she's like, don't think I don't know who your mother's family are. And Lizzie says, if Darcy doesn't mind her connections, then it should be no bother to Lady Catherine. And Lady Catherine says, once and for all, are you engaged to Darcy? And Lizzie wants to not answer, but she feels bad or something and says, no, I'm not. Which is, hmm, hmm. And then Lady Catherine asks if she will promise never to become engaged to him. And Lizzie says that she will make no such promise. <laughs> and then Lady Catherine says she won't leave without a promise. And Lizzie says this was like the first reasonable. I mean, Lizzie's reasonable a lot. But this is the first time that anyone has addressed the classism of this book and the notion of like having to marry certain people being unreasonable. Lizzie says that it is wholly unreasonable to promise that and even if she did it wouldn't make him any more likely to marry baby de Berg. she said she's very mistaken about lizzie if she thinks that she could promise such a thing and she tells lady catherine that she has no right to be meddling anyway and please stop and she tries to walk away and then lady catherine says not so fast i need to tell you also that i know about lydia's infamous elopement Woof. yeah and like why bring that up Oof kick her when she's down i guess well i think i think that's like a last ditch attempt because lizzie has already insulted darcy in catherine de Berg's eyes by saying ah well actually i'm the same level as darcy right and she's been like oh don't play that game with me i know what your little sister did yeah and she points out that it was covered up by her father and uncle which is wrong it was covered up by darcy but she doesn't know that and she doesn't want such a girl to be her nephew's sister. She says, quote, are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? Gross. Gross. But Lizzie is like, that's enough. And she walks away. She just like doesn't say anything. And then Lady Catherine says she has no regard for the honor and credit of Mr. Darcy. She calls her an unfeeling, selfish girl. And again, Lizzie says she has nothing to say. And then Lady Catherine says, then you are resolved to have him. And Lizzie says she didn't say that either. But she will act in such a manner that will ensure her happiness without regard to Lady Catherine's wishes. Woof. <sighs> Lady Catherine is like, then you're determined to ruin him in the eyes of his friends and the whole world. And 
Lizzie says, quote, With regard to the resentment of his family or the indignation of the world, if the former were excited by his marrying me, it would not give me one moment's concern, and the world in general would have too much sense to join in the scorn. Lizzie is so smart. She is. And Lady Catherine leaves by saying, I take no leave of you. I send no compliments to your mother. You deserve no such attention. I am most seriously displeased. That is the one-star Yelp review of dismissals in this time. (laughs) Yes. I give no thanks to your family. I don't hope you're well. (laughs) And then Lizzie goes back inside and her mom is like, did she just come to say hi? Did she just come to send her regard from the Collins? It's like, what did she want? And Lizzie's like, yep. And that's it. That's that chapter. Yeah, that is a doozy of a chapter. That is that is a messy chapter. It is a classist chapter. I fucking love Lady Catherine de Bourgh because she's a bitch. Yeah, I hate her. (laughs) But that sums us up pretty well. I've, I've always loved characters that are powerful older women who are mean as hell. For sure. And that is Catherine de Bourgh. But this chapter really does highlight how she is a bad person. She's a bad person. She's just a bad person. So moving on to chapter 15. Lizzie can't stop thinking about this interaction and she wonders where the rumor about her and Darcy originated. She thinks maybe it just arose out of speculation over Bingley and Jane's engagement because like Bingley and Jane are getting together. Lizzie and Darcy will be spending a lot more time together. What's the logical next step, etc.? And she thinks that the Lucases probably came to this conclusion. We're talking to Charlotte. Charlotte told Collins and Collins told Lady Catherine de Bourgh and she took it to mean that they are engaged. So that's what Lizzie thinks happened. Yes. I don't know if that's true, but pretty much everyone seems to think that Lizzie and Darcy hate each other. So I don't know where it would have come from, but like whatever. I mean, at least the Lucases saw them interact at Rosings. Oh, right. What's her name? Maria. Our favorite protagonist, Maria. Yeah, star of this book. Absolute star of this book. She makes another appearance in this chapter very briefly. Does she? Oh yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, so she figures that Lady Catherine will also probably confront Darcy about this and she'll be applying to his weakest side with this argument and she gets really worried that he's going to be like, oh, okay, and then won't want to marry her. She's worried that his pride will overtake him again. It's in the title. It's in the title. She thinks that she'll know... If he will have been convinced by Lady Catherine de Bourgh if he doesn't return to Bingley in the 10 days time that he had promised. And she thinks to herself, I shall then give over every expectation, every wish of his constancy. If he is satisfied only with regretting me when he might have obtained my affections in hand, I shall soon cease to regret him at all. Oh, man. We know that's not true, sweet, sweet Lizzie. But She is in like full pining mode. I love it. I love this for her. She deserves it. (laughs) So the next day, Daddy Bennett comes to Lizzie with a letter and says that he would like to talk to her. And she thinks, oh no, Lady Catherine wrote a letter to my dad. And he says, I did not know I had two daughters on the brink of matrimony. This is like Daddy Bennett is having a ball this chapter. This chapter is Daddy Bennett just going ham. He thinks that he's calling Lizzie in there to like laugh and joke with him about this letter. And the letter is from Mr. Collins. Who just shows up to ruin everyone's day every so often. Yeah, that's exactly what this was. Like, there was no need for him to write this letter. I was so confused. But basically, so I tried to summarize the letter because it's kind of long and wordy, which is true Collins fashion. Yes. So I tried to summarize it. The basic points that he hits. Congratulations about Jane. I hear Lizzie is also soon to be engaged. But I need to warn you that Lizzie marrying that man would be a bad idea. And Daddy Bennett looks up at Lizzie at this point and he's like, Lizzie, can you guess who he means by this? And then he goes back to the letter and Collins has said that the man's aunt, Lady Catherine de Bourgh, does not approve. We haven't done this. I haven't done this one yet. 
Catherine de Berg. Beautiful. She does not approve of the match. Nope. So then Daddy Bennett looks up and he's like, his aunt, Lady Catherine de Berg, this means Darcy. And he thinks that they're going to have a big chuckle. And he says, Mr. Darcy, who never looks at any woman but to see a blemish, and who probably never looked at you in his life. <laughs> uh, and Lizzie's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what she's doing. She's so uncomfortable. She's got like wide eyes and she's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, she's like, totally. He never proposed to me. Never. And I did not obliterate him with the sheer power of my words. <laughs> and she's like, please keep reading. And Collins thought it was his duty to warn them as quickly as possible after Lady Catherine confided in him about the rumor which is funny because lady catherine has literally already been there to talk to lizzie about it like he did not have to do this at all he then adds that he's also glad that lydia's engagement was hushed up but he was disappointed in daddy bennett for letting them visit and he mentioned quote had i been the rector of longbourn i should have very strenuously opposed it and that he could forgive them but never want to see them again in which case i think daddy bennett makes the good point of like that's forgiveness. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that we see a good side of Daddy Bennett there when he's like, that's not like forgiving them means forgiving them. Although I don't think Daddy Bennett has forgiven them and that I think he let them there out of obligation to the rest of his family. But that aside, he has a great quote about Collins as well after that line. Oh, it's coming. He says that he hopes Lizzie isn't going to be missish over this, which I looked up and it's kind of a gross word because it's like, miss-ish like being like a little miss and it means affectedly demure squeamish or sentimental and I just don't like it like just say I hope you're not gonna be upset about this because like it's supposed to be funny but whatever yeah it's a bit of a sexist word yeah he says for what do we live but to make sport for our neighbors and laugh at them in our turn which sums up daddy Bennett pretty well (laughs) and then oh then I think this is where he does the quote about Collins. So he talks about how it's so funny because it's so unbelievable. He says, Much as I abominate writing, I would not give up Mr. Collins's correspondence for any consideration. Nay, when I read a letter of his, I cannot help giving him the preference even over Wickham, much as I value the impudence and hypocrisy of my son-in-law. And pray, Lizzie, what said Lady Catherine about this report? Did she call to refuse her consent? It's so prime because he hits correctly on everything and he's joking yeah he's like ha 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 collins ha 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 wickham ha 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 did lady catherine de Bourgh actually come to refuse her consent for you to marry darcy who hates you and who you hate and lizzie's literally like laughing to avoid crying it literally it says she replied only with a laugh because she could not say anything else and oh this was a sweet quote that i wrote down it was necessary to laugh when she would rather have cried her father had most cruelly mortified her by what he said about mr darcy's indifference she thinks that maybe he's right question mark because it It ends by saying she had fear that perhaps instead of his seeing too little, she might have fancied too much. Does that mean she she fears that over her dad not seeing the whole picture and that being what makes him laugh? She likes Mr. Darcy too much and he's actually seeing more of the picture than she thinks. Which is so relatable. So relatable. I mean, if you hear someone say that they saw someone laughing about you or I don't know whatever like or like talking to another girl then yeah you're gonna be like oh my god I thought am I reading all the signs wrong yeah I mean you're really like I don't know if this is just me but when you get told someone doesn't like you or like they don't care about you or didn't look at you you are more likely to believe that person than you are to believe the actual instincts you have. I'm glad that's not just me. Oh my god no because because we all are terrified of putting ourselves out there 
and getting hurt or being made to look a fool for misreading the signals. And we all have our instincts that tell us when there's chemistry or tell us when we like someone or when someone's sort of flirting with us. And to varying levels, we are accurate in those. But like, you know, most people are pretty perceptive. Like we, we can feel chemistry. But when we misinterpret it, it is so painful because it's not only sort of hurtful, it's humiliating because then you feel like you've imposed on somebody else. So you're terrified that you've misread. So it's easy to believe someone who doesn't know the whole story if they tell you that the person's not into you. Right, because you assume that with an outside eye, they'll be more accurate. But sometimes people with the inside eyes are the ones that are more accurate because you're the one experiencing the feelings. They're getting the full picture. You're the one experiencing the one-on-one connection. Exactly. Luckily, chapter 16 clears that all up for us. This is where I spilled coffee. Oh my god, this is where you spilled the coffee! Yeah. It was right at the beginning of chapter 16. I was like, how apt that this should be the chapter that I spill all over. Y'all, this chapter is what we have been waiting for. Actually, no. There's one thing missing from this chapter, and I'll talk about it at the end. But let's get into what happens in this chapter. Becca is, like, shaking with anticipation. I'm so happy right now. (laughs) So chapter 16, it's a few days later. And Bingley brings Darcy back to Longbourn, which means his aunt did not get to him or did not convince him not to come, which we'll get into soon. So Lizzie's nervous because Mrs. Bennet is going to tell him that they saw Lady Catherine. But before she gets a chance, Bingley is like, let's all go for a walk. So the girls and Bingley and Darcy go. And then Jane and Bingley hang back because they want to walk together. And then Kitty is like, I want to go to Maryton and see Maria. That's where she comes back. Yeah, but I, I love the little moment where it's like a trio of Kitty, Darcy, and Lizzie. Major third wheel. But she's so unaware. Kitty having no idea what's happening. No idea. She didn't even remember his name when he last came. She was like, isn't that that man? <laughs> oh my god. I stand Kitty as the Bennett sister we get to know the least over the books. She's just crazy. She's great. I love her. I hate her, but I, I, but I don't hate her nearly as much as I hate Lydia. So I think I love her a little bit because she's great. Anyway. You gotta. She walks to Maryton, so Lizzie and Darcy walk boldly on alone. And Lizzie is feeling empowered, and it, she works up the courage, and she says that she knows what he did for her family, and she is just eternally grateful for what he did. And I don't know why he apologizes that she found out, but he's like, I'm so sorry that you had to find out. I thought your aunt was more trustworthy. And Lizzie assures him that no, it was it was Lydia who was untrustworthy. He doesn't want her to feel like she owes him anything. Oh, because, because, because like the time when, when he was like, she was telling him about Lydia and he was like, I don't want to give you any like, it's okay because like, it's clearly not. I don't want to make you think that I'm just being nice to you to win your favor. I know this sucks. And this is the same vibe. Same energy. Oh, I love him. So then she continues just thanking him on behalf of her whole family. And he says, if you will thank me, thank me just for yourself, because I only acted in the hope of giving you happiness. He said, quote, much as I respect them, I believe I only thought of you. Oh, my God. That is just he is so heart melty in this part, because also, you know, like he is doing like somersaults in his head. He's like, she's talking to me. He's not only, he's like, she, she knows. She, and also he's like, she's, she's talking to me cordially. We're, we're alone. Just the two of us now. It's, he's overwhelmed. Oh, he's freaking out. Yeah. He is 
freaking out. And also she is. And they're both freaking out. And they're both walking together. And I cannot picture them actually having emotions on their faces. So I can't wait to see the movie because I just am picturing them both standing there like staring straight ahead like, oh, I'm very thankful for what you've done. I am giving nothing away about these movies. <laughs> I just, I'm waiting for the, there's like a scene in the rain in one of them. I just know Colin Firth standing in the rain with the rain. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not raining here, so that's not happening yet, I think. Oh my God. I don't want to say a single word because I've been good at not spoiling you right now, but we're going to return to that statement later. Oh my God, thank God. So, <laughs> So then I my notes just say like, ah, <laughs> quote from him. Darcy says, you are too, <laughs> you can't even read it. No, you are too generous to fight. <laughs> oh my God. You are too generous to trifle with me. If your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so at once. My affections and wishes are unchanged, but one word from you will silence me on this subject forever. <sighs> He still loves her and he just told her and he said, if you still don't want to marry me, just tell me and I, I'll drop it. But I just need to know like one last time. And she's like, no, 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 I like you. <laughs> she just blurts it out. She's like, uh, no, I've completely done a 180 and hearing you say that right now makes me really happy. <laughs> and then can you imagine Darcy being like, okay, okay, it's happening. Oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> then it says that he behaves at this, he expresses himself as sensibly and warmly as a man violently in love can be supposed to do. I cannot picture Darcy doing any kind of exuberant exclamations of joy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is that like he's like, OK, OK, we have to keep it calm. We have to keep it chill. It's all happening. We're going to stay calm. But he's smiling real big. Yeah, he is. And Lizzie's not looking at him. She is staring straight ahead and she doesn't see how he is behaving right now. So she, yep. they're just not making eye contact and professing their love to each other, which is on brand. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. 
To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So they keep walking without knowing the direction because they don't have any time to pay attention to anything except catching up on all that they haven't said to each other all this time. So they talk about how Lady Catherine did indeed go to Darcy and appeal to him. And what she did, though, with the intent of making him have his pride, like, overcome him and be like, okay, I shouldn't marry her, is she relayed the entire conversation with Lizzie and all of those, I won't promise not to marry him, things that she said gave him a hope that maybe she would. Basically, you have to see it this way. Mr. Darcy thought from the time that he proposed when she said there is no way he could have asked her that she would have said yes to and nothing he could do to win her affection. Remember, you were the last man on earth I could ever ever be be prevailed prevailed upon upon to to marry. marry. And so he took that as, okay, no hope left in the world, but maybe I'm going to become a better person. And then he's just like pining after her so sadly for so long, just being like, oh, she'll never love me. But now I love her even more. Oh, she'll never love me. But now I love her even more. And then his aunt comes to him and she's like, can you fucking believe it? I went to this girl who you might marry. And I was like, don't marry him. And she was like, don't tell me what to do. And he was like, she, she said, don't tell me what to do. What? And then there was just like this little perk up in his brain. He goes, wait. Wait, I I can? What? Yeah, he gets this, like, a little spark of hope. And additionally, like, he says, I know you well enough to know that if you did not want to marry me at all, then you would have just told my aunt that. And Lizzie says, quote, you know enough of my frankness to believe me capable of that after abusing you so abominably to your face. I could have no scruple in abusing you to all your relations. And Darcy, and like, talking about proposals again, and then Darcy is like, you didn't say anything that I didn't deserve. And then... Lizzie says that she doesn't want to argue over who was most to blame in that situation because they were both to blame and they've both improved as people because of, you know, the human capacity for change. Growth. Because of growth. And (laughs) he says he can't forgive himself that easily. He replays in his head over and over again her saying, had you behaved more like a gentleman? Though it was months before he was able to admit that she was right, he says. Honestly, okay, I'll say this. Have you ever, like, clocked someone for being really atrocious in how they treated you? No, I'm shy, baby. So I have confronted certain people in my life and been like, hey, you were really shitty. And the satisfaction of hearing Darcy be like, I was really shitty. Feels good. It is so good when someone acknowledges that they treated you like shit. Yeah. So listeners out there, this also goes the other way. If you have wronged someone and they've called you on it be honest with yourself have you actually been terrible to them in some way and do you owe them an apology because you never know you could have a mr darcy situation if you amend your behavior and just apologize yeah hell yeah apologies are good yes we love owning up to our actions on this podcast if there is one thing to take away from pride and prejudice it is that if you meet the right person and you call them on their bullshit then Like, the human capacity for change is something real. I say all this meaning, like, not toxic people, cut out the toxic people, but, like, people who've just been a jerk. George Wickham. We don't stand George Wickham's. We stand Fitzwilliam Darcy's on this pod. Exactly. We don't want to forgive the Wickham's, but we do want to see growth in the Darcy's. Yeah. Well put, Molly Burdick. Look at you, you little Austin scholar. (sighs) I'm almost a scholar. (laughs) So 
she then says she doesn't realize how much of an impact her words have had on him. And he says he could never forget the way she looked at him when she said that there was no way that he could ever propose to her that would make her accept him. It definitely turned him on. You gotta make it sexual, don't you? Listen, if Austin didn't in these chapters, at least I should. Yeah, you're right. It's like (laughs) Shakespeare. He did it flat out, though. But Yeah. She says, please don't repeat anything that I said that night. It's too painful for me to think about. And then they discuss his letter to her. This is like the different parts. They've discussed proposal Geddon. Now they're going to discuss the letter. They're rehashing basically the build up to their relationship. The whole thing. And he asks, was it like soon after she read it that she started believing him? And she says it had a gradual effect. I started to slowly see that I was wrong about you or like this and that. And then he says that he hopes she destroyed the letter because he remembers certain parts of it that might have been cruel, which, yeah, the whole first half of it. I'm just thinking about how you reacted to the first part of the letter and then the Wickham part of the letter. And I just love that Darcy is like, honestly, I thought I was so cool headed when I wrote it. But now I see that it was basically just a loud subtweet. Yeah, he says that it was with cruel intentions and he didn't realize them at the time, but like he was being angry at her. And she said she'll destroy it if he wants. And she gives him some credit. She says, while it began harshly, the adieu was charity itself. They are so cute. They are just opening up the chest. They are working through everything. They are communicating to people who have not communicated all book. At all. Nope. So they're finally just like laying everything to rest and being like, this is how I reacted to this. This is how you reacted to this. This is what you meant by it, but this is how it came across. Exactly. I feel blank when you blank. Exactly. Then she says that she would rather they just forget the letter entirely. She wants him to adopt her philosophy of only remembering good memories. And he says, you can do that because you were ignorant of the full situation. I cannot do that because I know how bad this whole thing truly was and he explains to her that he was brought up while he had a concept of what is right and wrong he was brought up to be selfish to never correct his temper to not care for anyone outside of his family circle and he was like that from age 8 to 28 is he 28 now I guess yeah Darcy is 28 that he's like our age I mean I'm 25 you're 26 yes 27 26. He's like our age, practically. That is so grim. He's my brother's age. Wow. Oh, man. I want to get married to Darcy. So (laughs) he says he was like that for so long and, quote, and such might I have still been, but for you, dearest, loveliest Elizabeth. And then she tells her that she humbled him, that he came to her fully believing that she was going to accept his proposal. And she's like, I didn't mean to lead you on. And you must have really hated me after that if I had led you on. And he says he was angry, but he didn't hate her. His anger soon took on a more uh, proper direction. Which means he was mad at himself. himself. Yeah. Oh, Becca's crying. We love a man who has to reevaluate things based on some accurate insults from a woman he's in love with and then takes a self-discovery journey and learns how to be a better person. We do love that. That <laughs> felt like a TikTok audio. <laughs> we should make a Jane Austen TikTok account. There already is one. and it's It's fabulous. I've seen it. Yeah, he's so good. So then, next subject is Pemberley and the time that she was there and he was there and she was like did you what did you think when I was there Uh, and he says that he was surprised to see her and she said 
she was surprised he spoke to her at all because she thought that he would be so mad at her for her proposal uh, thing that she did against him. The proposal get in. For proposal get in. And he said that he had hoped in that time to earn her forgiveness and to show her that he had heard her reproofs and adjusted to be more gentlemanly. We talked about this. We did. I remember when we were there and you were like, has Darcy taken to heart what she said or what? And I was like, I don't know if it reached him like that. (laughs) Oh, he has been up at night just like agonizing. He's been walking with a book on his head, like (laughs) training himself to be more gentle. He has been like (laughs) staring in a mirror and being like, Georgiana, I'm terrible. How do I get better so she'll love me? She's probably been training him (laughs) to be a good person. She's probably been like, Darcy. What do we say when someone asks you to pass the salt? And he's been like, no. And she's like, no. It's like it's like in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> when Beauty trains the beast. When Darcy's the beast. When Darcy's the beast and his little sister is the beauty training him. Is that weird? Except, yeah, without the, the weird Stockholm Syndrome yeah. romance Soon attached to it. Lizzie will be trained. Yeah, except for without that Stockholm Syndrome thing. But, oh well. Uh, so... Then he mentions how Georgie had been so happy to meet her and was so sad to see her go, which brings them to the next topic of her leaving Pemberley in such a rush because of Lydia. And we get to learn that the minute Darcy heard what had happened, he started planning going to London, which is why he got so quiet in that moment. And when he was like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. He was like thinking, when can I call my carriage? Like he's ready to go right away he's like going through his mind he's like okay these are the contacts wickham has in london this is where he definitely went this is how much money i think i'll have to use to pay off his debts like he is not even thinking about it he just sees lizzie crying and he's like i'm gonna fix it yeah oh my god it's so cute (laughs) and Guys, Molly is not okay during this episode. She's starting to keen. I am. I'm keening. So so then it's time to go back to the house. And so they start talking about Bingley and Jane. And Darcy says he's just delighted by the engagement. And now Lizzie finally gets to ask him, did you give him your permission? And Darcy is like, permission? But Lizzie knows that, yes, by that answer, he did. And then Darcy tells her that on the evening before he left for London, which time? This most recent time after he, they had been hanging out? I, I think the evening before he left Longbourn. Well, ne- Netherfield. Right. Well, the evening. So they had Bingley at this most recent time when Bingley and Darcy were coming. And then Darcy had to leave. But Bingley then proposed to Jane the next day. Yeah. On the, that evening before he left that time, he told Bingley everything about his interference in that engagement and why it was wrong. And he's like, I shouldn't have done this, but I did. Poor Bingley trusted him and he's very surprised that Darcy would have done this but Darcy also tells him that he thinks he was mistaken in saying that Jane didn't like him back and then Lizzie asks if he spoke that from his own observations or from what she told him and he says I'd been paying attention the last couple days that I was here and I was convinced that he does love her and she does love him and that was very sweet and then He mentions that Bingley is too modest to depend on his own judgment in these cases. Basically what we were talking about before. Bingley needs 12 opinions on something. That, yeah, that too. And that when you really like someone, you're kind of likely to believe what someone else says about how they feel about you. Exactly. And Darcy also told him, and he felt bad about this, that he knew Jane was in London when Jane was in London and Bingley was in London. And 
Bingley didn't call on her. And he tells Bingley that he kept that information from him. And Bingley, big boy, gets angry at Darcy. Yes! Yes! You know what else we call that? Growth. Growth. <laughs> but also he forgives him right away. Well, yeah, yeah. But because it's Bingley. Because basically all that Jade and Bingley really missed out on was a marriage like nine months earlier. Right, exactly. Otherwise, Which, like, like, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's sad, but... A lot of heartache. Lizzie wants to then make a joke about how easily guided Bingley is and how that makes him a perfect friend for Darcy. But then she reminds herself that Darcy has yet to learn to be laughed at. So she holds her tongue. She knows her boy's awkward. She knows and she wants to train him or or help him rather to become less awkward. And this is something that Mrs. Gardner had brought up. She was like, well, he wants a little in the character department, but if he marries prudently, his wife could help with that. <laughs> wink, wink. And this is proof of that. Lizzie's going to have to help him be a little more funny. Basically, a sequel to Pride and Prejudice would just be like Lizzie teasing Darcy and poking him and like teaching him how to joke about himself. And him being like, huh. oh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and then they reach the house and they part ways and... This is where I get to the one thing that's missing. Why did they not kiss? Becca's just smiling at the camera. That is somewhat of a staple in the Austin world. Are they not going to kiss? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm not looking at you. Oh, I'll be mad if there's no kissing in this book. <laughs> you want that well, physical touch payoff. That's true. Here's the thing. So I guess they reached the house. And they haven't had time yet to be like, they're speaking so pragmatically about their love for each other. They're like, do you still like me? I I still like you. I like you too. Let's discuss our relationship. But no, like, I like you, smoochy, smoochy. And now they have to pretend like there's nothing going on. Have you taken the other implication from this conversation? No. I think Mr. Darcy intends to marry Elizabeth. Yes. And then they can kiss? Yes. After they get married? Are you missing out on the fact that this, in its own way, is a proposal? (laughs) Is this a proposal? But she didn't say yes or no. I mean, she did. But he has to actually propose to her. Are these last three chapters going to make me mad? No. Okay, good. Well, in any event, we've finished. It seems like we're already in Becca's study questions, but we have finished the chapters, and now we are moving on to Becca's study questions. All right. So now we're on to Becca's study questions. When Catherine DeBert comes to visit... We get a full layout of the Bennett prospects. Everything that I've been talking to you about, about the Bennetts and how they interact with society is basically bluntly said by Catherine de Berg. How do they translate when they're said out loud? How does Lydia change them? Lydia, obviously, it was like you said, it was her last attempt to make Lizzie see how incompatible they are. And Lydia basically brought what could have been a perfectly respectable family down because she had a scandal. And that, and also Wickham is poor. So there's that. But just hearing it all laid out like that, I mean, yeah, they want to merge fortunes. She wants to, her family. But it's not about wealth necessarily. It's not about how much wealth Lizzie has. She is a gentleman's daughter. They have enough. It's about status and it's about vibe not vibe but it's about image like keeping the image for the public and it would be such a a blow to Darcy's family's image if he married a Bennett girl yeah and I think you also really see how that etiquette that we keep talking about is so important 
This is the culmination of what happens when that etiquette is torpedoed. You have an aunt that is pretty influential. And also, if Darcy were more of a Bingley type character, possibly more effective in stopping her nephew. Mm -hmm. Well, Darcy was a Bingley type. I mean, had Lizzie not, I don't know, he just would have believed her a few months ago. I don't know. Yeah, you know? Yeah. He would have listened to her a while ago. Basically, like, you can see how uh, how your family behaves, how you behave, makes a really big difference in your prospects in life and in society. So it does put into context the behavior of some of the Bennets throughout the book and how it really has endangered the happiness of several of the girls. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, if he goes to Mrs. Bennett and is like, I want to marry your daughter, she's going to be like, hell yeah. Not going to confirm or deny that. Uh, <laughs> so we have the return of Catherine de Bourgh. What do we learn about marriage from Catherine de Bourgh's perspective? Because she is an influential character, despite a, being a bitchy one. Mm -hmm. And we've had a lot of different discussions about what marriage is in this time period, what love is in this time period. And I think Catherine brings some new perspective to it. And we've talked about it a little, but I wanted to, like, drive the point home. The main thing, I think, is that marriage is a financial act and a family-preserving act. And also, she I don't think she believes in love as a concept, since she was like, uh, I won't stoop to believe that Darcy would ever propose to you because, <laughs> what? How, why would he? And she thinks that two mothers promising to each other that their children will marry is enough. And I think that her view of that is being threatened right now. Yes, by her nephew's stubborn wish to marry for love. How dare he? Okay, so moving on to Collins's letter and Daddy Bennett, I think this is really interesting because I think you get the perspectives of the dizzy love story from Catherine de Bourgh, Mr. Bennett, Mr. Collins, and Lizzie all at the same time. So the way I see it is you have Catherine seeing it as the strong thing that's about to happen and ruin her family. You have Collins seeing this as his insolent cousin sort of running amok again. You have Mr. Bennett seeing this as this little joke from dumb people who don't even know Lizzie. And you have Lizzie, who is well aware that she's developed this intimate bond with this character. Thoughts? Daddy Bennett's view of it is kind of like a slap in the face to the reader because, like, we are so steeped in it that we forget that the rest of the world thinks that they're enemies still. Actually, they both think that the other person hates them at this point, too. So that's fun. So that was like, oh, right. People don't know that they are in love. That's just us. So that was interesting. Hearing Collins, nothing really changed there. He is regurgitating the information someone else told him, as always. We get to hear Lady Catherine de Bourgh's standpoint on it from her herself and then how she told Collins and like, basically just trying to stir the pot. And Lizzie, receiving this information, she's mortified. She's like, my private life is out there and everyone's laughing at me. Oh, Liz. Lizzie. She just doesn't know how to even begin to process this. Yeah, I think that's all accurate. And I think it also gives us markers for how far we've come in the story. You have Catherine de Burke giving the societal perspective. You have Collins giving the perspective of someone who was there at Rosings. You have Bennett, Daddy Bennett, that is, giving perspective from the Longmorn time of their courtship. And then you have Lizzie, who's been there the entire time. And so you really map the different points of the Dizzy relationship through that chapter. Yeah, it also clocks how long it's been since the Bennett family and Lizzie 
have been on the same page. Lizzie's been hiding a lot from her family this year. Yeah. It's been a busy year. It has been. Okay, that brings us to the next question, which is, this is kind of a baby proposal. Graham, the sound effect? I had not thought about this as a proposal, to be completely honest. I know that like the next step would probably be him asking permission from the family. Oh my God. If he asks Daddy Bennett, Daddy Bennett's going to laugh at him. Uh, Lizzie's going to have to stand up for herself. This is a prediction, but he's going to ask Daddy Bennett. Daddy Bennett's going to be like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? I thought that was a joke. Lizzie's going to be like, no, I love him. And then there's going to be a whole thing. But I was hoping to have a bit more of a, I mean, this is like very sweet and I'm glad that they did this, but I was hoping to have something a little bit more romantic. You want him to be like walking up to her and grabbing her face and kissing her? Well, what happened to the scene in the rain that I see in all of these gifts on the internet? Becca's just staring at me. I know you can't say anything. Our listeners are going to laugh very hard right now. <laughs> I want to know. But like, this is very, this was very sweet. Very good. Very cute. Good mini proposal. I mean, I guess, yeah, because in this time period, admitting that you're in love is like, okay, then time to get married because we've already done the dating thing. Basically, he's like, I'm renewing my ask. Oh, he does from say April. that. He does say that. Yeah. And he's like, I'll never ask again. And she's like, no, 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 I'm in this time. Yeah. She says, no, 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 please ask again. It's different from proposal again in India. So I wanted to compare this to his last confession of love. I think even just going from the first lines, do you remember his first line to her in the last proposal? No. You haven't memorized. No, I don't have it memorized. Okay. So Mr. Darcy enters the room. In vain I have struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. Compare that to how he asks her in this next bit. In this bit, he says, You are too generous to trifle with me. If your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so at once. My affections and wishes are unchanged, but one word for you will silence me on this subject forever. Do you hear the modesty? Yeah. In that second one compared to the first one? The first one, he barges in and he's like, Against my better judgment, as much as I've tried to fight it, I have to tell you that I love you and you're going to marry me. Yeah. This time he says, basically, listen, I know how you felt about me. If you still feel that way, it's cool. I'll never ask again. But I'm still in. The amount of care, the amount of checking in that he does in the second one. Oh my God, just by starting, he starts by saying, you are too generous to trifle with me. You're walking with me right now and you don't know how grateful I am. It's kind of like the way that you just phrased it. It's like the episode of Gilmore Girls Say Something. We see Luke and Lorelai. Oh, I guess. No. So on the episode where Luke and Lorelai go on their first date, Luke is like, I just want you to know that I'm in. I'm all in. And then she just stares at him. And he's like, does that scare you? And she just stares at him. And then in Say Something, when they're broken up, she's like dreaming and she's like watching this scene replay. And he says, I just want you to know I'm in. I'm all in. And she just doesn't say anything. And Lorelai starts yelling at herself and she's like, say something. Anyway, that's a way sidebar. But he's in. He's all in. And Lizzie this time is like, I am too. Yeah, that's a really good. That's a good uh, parallel. (laughs) Another bickering iconic couple. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically just him being like, listen, I will never stop loving you. You're your own woman and you can feel how you want to feel. But if you want me, I'm here. And I will always love you. 
another Gilmore Girls reference. Lorelai sings that at karaoke. Oh, my and God. And Luke walks in, and they make eye contact, and she's like, bittersweet memories. Oh, I love that show. This is now a Gilmore Girls podcast? Yes. Gilmore guys, come on the show. Yes, please. Oh, my God. We'd love to have you on this show. Can you imagine if Demi or did you we became on our show? Don't joke. This is actually an open invitation, yeah, guys. Yeah, we love you, Demi. Next question. <laughs> We basically see them go through their whole love story together from the start to the finish, talking it through. And I thought that meant it was a good time to reflect on how they've grown through it. Should we do some montage music? Yes. Graham, give us the montage music, please. They meet at a party where Darcy is pissed and Lizzie gets pissed at Darcy we start out with, she is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me. And then pretty much a week later, he realizes, oh, that was incorrect. She's indeed tolerable enough. <laughs> She's more than tolerable, wink, wink. We see both animosity grow and sexual tension grow as they're at Netherfield together. And he just stands in the corner staring at her. Growing to a culmination of them dancing at the Netherfield ball. Being snarky towards each other. Growing as they go through rosings. And Darcy learns how to be a little bit more polite. And Lizzie gets out of her family's shadow and truly shines on her own. We see it all fall to shit at Proposal Get-In, when neither of them know what the hell they're talking about. Nobody addresses themselves quite as well as they have the capability to at that point. So Darcy addresses a letter instead to Miss Elizabeth Bennet and explains his perspective on their entire acquaintance. Darcy writes much better than he speaks. Lizzie overthinks everything. As she is wont to do. And realizes this entire time she's been hating the wrong man. She finds him again at Pemberley and realizes not only is he actually kind of a nice guy, he's got stellar interior decorating skills. Which is important to her. Very important. We see him defend her to Caroline Bingley introduce her to Georgiana Darcy, and ultimately save her family from utter ruin, all of which he does for her. Finally, we see his family try to come between them, only to reveal to Darcy that Lizzie, in fact, had feelings for him all along, all leading up to a moment where both these idiots finally confess their feelings to each other, finally talk, and are destined to live happily ever after, all without kissing. Without kissing. Now, this is important in a certain way, because Jane Austen is not big on the physical intimacy in her books. And that is because in the time, you really couldn't be that physically intimate. But also, it's because the story really is about two people falling in love with each other because of who they are. Mm -hmm. And it is a story that has its moments of touching and emotional charge and physical charge. But really, the way the story plays out, it's not about the fact that they want to bone each other. It is underneath. But the fact that they don't touch each other is also part of the, the sexiness of it, the romance of it. Yeah, I kind of love it, actually. I mean, I do want that big moment of like, I love you. Like, they didn't even say I love you right now. They just like talked about, oh, yeah, this is uh, this is a recitation of all the events that have happened in our relationship this far and how we feel about them i want that big romantic feel it moment but it like also wouldn't feel right for the style of this book to have them kissed so on to our standbys funniest quote i think it's got to be one that i've probably already read and i'm just gonna read the whole dang thing because why the heck not Oh, cried Elizabeth, I am extremely diverted, but it is so strange. This We're talking about 
Darcy being the one to be rumored to be proposed to her. Quote from Natty Bennett. Yes, that is what makes it amusing. Had they fixed on any other man, it would have been nothing. But his perfect indifference and your pointed dislike make it so delightfully absurd. Much as I abominate writing, I would not give up Mr. Collins's correspondence for any consideration. Nay, when I read a letter of his, I cannot help giving him the preference even over Wickham, much as I value the impudence and hypocrisy of my son-in-law. Great choice. Questions moving forward? Well, okay, will they kiss? <laughs> I like some rom-coms so I just want to know if they will but it's okay if they don't do what you want to do um will Darcy like get rejected by Lizzie's parents that's a big one will Lizzie tell them will will they get married I don't know I don't there's only three chapters left I really don't know what's gonna happen who wins the chapters Darcy Lizzie Darcy Lizzie Dizzy Dizzy Darcy Darcy Dizzy Dizzy Dizzy. Dizzy. Okay. That concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice with Dizzy taking the win for winning the chapters, which I totally agree with. This has been Becca and Molly fangirling very hard over our stupid, stupid, stupid boy, Darcy. Oh, yes. And our stupid, stupid, stupid girl. Yeah. Both of them. Very, very They're both stupid, incredible. Stupid couple. We love them both. Yeah. We love them. Uh, uh. All right. We love you all. Stay safe, everyone. And uh, until next week, stay proper. And find yourself a Darcy. <laughs> find yourself a Darcy, not a Wickham. Love it. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.